Welcome along to another Know My Faith Monday podcast. And this time I'm with Jeremy Dempsey from OAC Ministries. Uh, I was going to say in the Hawke's Bay, but you're actually the national director. Uh, yeah, that's right. I, um, I I reside here in the Hawke's Bay, but last year in March, I bec- I took over from Lou Meyer, who's the national director at the time. and so For about 140 years, I think. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I think he came off the arc. Yeah. But uh, it was an interesting journey because it was something that I never really wanted to do, was to be the national director of OAC. I was quite happy. Uh, in my role, which was the training director, yep. where I could focus on equipping people for evangelism and going around the country and working with, closely with churches and out on the streets and in different parts of the community. So I really never desired that leadership. And for a few years, he was like, oh, Jeremy, you should, you know, take over from me. Push, and I'm push. like, no, no, no. And then um, sort of 20... Yeah, 2018, end of 2018, the Lord started to change my mind and, and then... Okay, so let's talk about OAC because when I first met OAC, it was back in the Barry Titley, uh, Bob McNaughton days in the 1960s, open-air campaigners. Uh, that name has changed. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, I wasn't born then, so I didn't have anything <laughs> to do with it. But uh, it used to be called open-air campaigners and when I joined in OAC, um, OAC in the 90s, we weren't really known as open-air campaigners, but uh, OAC Ministries, because nobody, more and more people didn't really know what open-air campaigners were. It's like KFC. What does the K stand for? Yeah, no. and we wanted a name that reflected our ministry in a better way because we did more than just open-air preach. We did more than just street work because we uh, back in those days, and when I came on, we'd go into ships, go into factories, go into schools, universities. We'd work with churches very closely and just in prisons. And so a lot of that ministry was actually done indoors. And so open-air campaigners didn't really fit. So a few years ago, we rebranded. Illegally, we're still called open-air campaigners, but now we're called Outreach and Church Ministries New Zealand. Uh, still OAC, yeah. but it just reflects better the nature of our uh, work. Yeah, which, which also is very much in Ephesians 4, yes. because the giving of the apostles and the evangelists and the prophets and the teachers and the pastors is for the equipping of the church. Yeah. So the, the, the C part of that, the outreach is obviously the evangelism thing, mm. but the C part is, is where you guys equip others in giving the gospel. Yeah, that's right. And so all of our workers are connected with local churches. First and foremost, you need to be an evangelist within your own local church where there is opportunity so that you're not just tripping around and disconnected from the body of Christ. And we really feel like we're not fulfilling our ministry unless we're actually you know, fulfilling the mandate in Ephesians 4. Yeah. Evangelism is a, I mean, we're all called to it. It's the Great Commission. It's evangelism. And I remember when I was pastoring and I'd say, put up your hands if you feel comfortable evangelizing. And like, nobody moved. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd say, well, put up your hand if you're comfortable witnessing. And they sort of, you know, sit on their hands. Yes. And then I'd say, well, do you think you could explain what you believe to someone? Mm. Up go the hands. I go, well, that's really, that's what it's about. Yeah. But we get this, I don't want to be a crazy street preacher. Yeah, well, that's only left for the LAS, isn't it? The Lord's Awkward, <laughs> awkward Squad. Uh, it's interesting. There's 
That's still the same today, really. People have a distorted view of what evangelism is and the role of evangelists. And I think, to some degree, the evangelist is to blame to that, uh, for that yep. because sometimes we're so concerned about doing the work of evangelism that we are disconnected to the church or when we do uh, come into a church context to train people. Now when you say we, oh, as an, you, do you mean fellow, IC or as oh, an evangelist? As an evangelist yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in general from my yeah. um, experience. So this is my experience. It might not be true in all cases. But when an evangelist has come into the church, they've often taught evangelism the way they, they do it and which is can be quite helpful but quite discouraging as well because like you say, oh, I'm not called to be a, a crazy street preacher. Yeah. I could never do that. And so we sort of run away from those things that, that uh, we feel are impossible or we try and fail. Um, I think also a lot of people are uncomfortable or struggle in evangelism is because um, when I first became a Christian in the 90s, there were a lot of, you know, discover your spiritual gift track courses. Yeah. And so one of those was the gift of evangelism. Of course. And what we found over time is people were like, well, I don't have to evangelize because that's not my gift. Because the gift and call of God is irrevocable. And if that's he hasn't right. gifted me, then I don't have to do it. And that logic is kind of true. If God hasn't gifted you in a particular way, then, you know, He's not going to call you to do something that he isn't equipped yeah. you to I mean, do. I, I know, I know these, these hands. I can play musical instruments. Yes. I can work computers and all that. But please don't ask me to fix anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. Um, so go back to the 1990s. So yeah. did you grow up in a Christian family in a household or non-Christian? Uh, my family were very religious. They went to the pub Thursday, Friday and Saturday and recovered on Sunday. Uh, <laughs> the only king that was talked about in our house was the liquor king. Okay. Jesus was a swear word. So I grew up in a Maori family. In fact, my mum's first words to me was that it's not my son, put him back in, because everybody before me was brown and everybody after me was brown, and out come this white, blue-eyed blonde, and so she was quite shocked. I just say to people, I'm genetically modified. Uh, Dempsey is a good Irish name, and I've got good Irish stock. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but growing up, I knew about God. Uh, we People talked about the Lord. In fact, we would be at parties either at the marae or in the garage and some of our kuias, our old people, you know, you get to a point where you're playing the guitar, singing songs, they're drinking away and at a certain point in the night they would start bringing out their favourite songs and singing their favourite songs and it's like um, Amazing Grace, yeah. how great they are. So they're like drunk yeah. and they're hey, hands high yeah. Yeah. and they're worshipping God because they grew up in a Sunday That's school kind of background. Yeah. And uh, some of my cousins, and they're looking at them like really strange, thinking, you know, this doesn't connect. We're not really honoring the Lord because, we, and we're not at church. What's going on? Yeah. So I knew that God was real. Little guilt factor coming in. There. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, I knew that God was real, and I thought, I was, if, well, if I was to go to heaven, uh, if I was to die, I would go to heaven yep. because I'm a good person. You know, I'm not as bad as so, someone else. Yeah, yeah. But um, as I was growing up, I've 
had this emptiness inside. It's like a desire to be uh, accepted and loved for who I was because I felt like I never fit into anywhere. Because you know, yeah, like I, I grew up in a Maori context, and outside of my family, people were like, you know, what are you trying to learn the Maori culture? What are you trying to do, white boy? You've got no place here, you know. And yeah. I felt rejection from that. And then uh, I lived, you know, I was surrounded by people that looked like me, uh, Europeans, Kiwis. And I didn't feel like I fitted in because that's not the context I was growing up in. And I remember Dad saying to me, I wanted to learn the Maori culture. And Dad said, oh, don't worry, don't waste your time with that because that will never help you in life. Uh, and because that was their experience as well, it yeah. actually hindered them. And so, you know... So you're I, trying to figure out who, who's yeah, Jeremy right. Dempsey. Yeah, that's right. And I just felt like I didn't fit in anywhere. And so I, you know, still was into relationships with uh, girls, uh, ladies, and things like that, just to try and get a sense of value. And I was in the middle of uh, second year fifth, so I was repeating fifth form back in the day because I got D for dumb. Back, back where you could do that. <laughs> yeah, I got D for dumb. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I was walking to class, and in front of me, about a metre in front of me, there were three girls, and one of them just says, oh, it's great to be a Christian. She wasn't talking to me, but at the same time, uh, when she said that, I became really curious because I thought Christians were a bunch of religious hypocrites who had no fun. And so I went to a friend of mine who went to church because his mum made him go to church. And I says, oh, what's a Christian? And he says, I'll read this and uh, you'll find out. And it was a Bible. And I knew enough that you're supposed to follow the Lord with your life, whatever that meant. And so I said, God, when I finish reading this book, I'll give my life to you, knowing full well that I wasn't a very good reader and yeah. I'd never get right <laughs> through it. But as I opened up and began to read it, it just came alive. It just started to make sense. And the more I read, the more I wanted to read. It sort of just, it was like food for my soul. And I got halfway through the first book of Genesis and I just recognized that I needed to follow the Lord. Yeah. And so, uh, and I recognized that I needed to stop going my way and go his way. And so in my room by myself, I just prayed a simple prayer, which went something like, you know, forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Would you come into my life and help me to live for you? Something, nothing like that. And I finished and I felt absolutely the same. Oh, what? <laughs> and, so and disappointing. Thought, You're supposed to, the sky's supposed to be bluer, the grass yeah. greener. Uh, yeah, it was quite dark. It's in the Manawatu, so <laughs> oh, it's pretty stormy and windy. So, But um, I thought, sweet, I'm a follower of Jesus. I can go to parties and I'm sweet with the Lord and that's great. But what I didn't realize was that over the next couple of weeks, my life began to change. God without was even doing knowing. some work in here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, the desire to chase girls, the uh, stealing, uh, all of that sort of that, all those desires, desires to go to parties, to fit in, just left. And I used to be a compulsive swearer because that was my context. Instantly, I stopped swearing. I didn't. I didn't try. And what, I, looking back on it, it's like what I recognised was that for the first time in my life, that emptiness, that desire to be accepted and loved, the thing that I was searching for the most, you know, I had received it. That desire, um, that emptiness was gone. I was accepted. I was loved. And God was doing a work in my life. And I remember a couple of weeks after that incident, I was walking to school. 
And I was just thanking the Lord and just so appreciative of all that he'd done for me. I was like, Lord, you know, I'll do anything for you. I'll even go around the world and tell people about you. And I didn't even know that was what you could do. Uh, Because I was still in the Old Testament at that stage. And, you know, I wanted to be a chef when I grew up. And, but yet, I was just so thankful to the Lord that I just wanted to tell others about him. And so going to school, I didn't, I didn't, things didn't change too much at school. I didn't go to school to learn uh, what the teachers were saying. I'd go to school, have my Bible, open it up, and I'd read that instead of doing my lessons. So your desire to tell others about Jesus came out of what he did for you? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Now, I've got to say, because I mean, you're an evangelist, you're the national director of OAC. I'm pretty sure you've told that story a few times. A couple of times, yep, yep, yeah. A few so times. Uh, you were very polished in giving your mm-hmm. testimony. Yep. Most Christians aren't. Yes. You know, and I know people like Navigators. Um, I think it was Navigators. You were supposed to be able to give your testimony in three minutes. Yep. Uh, yeah, most of us struggle, and any time I've done that with people, and I know that I've seen Lou do it once or twice because I've been in meetings with him where he's been doing the church part of yes. outreach in church, and you've got the stopwatch there, and you go click three <laughs> minutes, and they haven't even got to to, to anywhere. Yet. They haven't <laughs> yeah. even got to Jesus. <laughs> yeah. um, something like that, that it puts a lot of people off. Yes. Telling others about Jesus because I don't know how to do it. Yeah. Right. I might mess it up. What do I do? And to me, that inhibits so many Christians from actually sharing their faith, let alone the I don't want to be a crazy street evangelist. And I think that's why the call and the gift of the evangelist is so important is because part of their responsibility is to help those that are not evangelists to be able to, in a natural way, communicate uh, their story and his story, what Jesus has done in our lives. And, and I meet a lot of people and they, uh, they kind of, like you said, they run away from that uh, opportunity because of fear and they just don't know what to say or yeah. how to say it. Or they might feel like that they don't have a testimony because I was brought up in a Christian background. Yeah. I've been a good boy all my life, so yes, I don't I've have got a testimony. Nothing to say because often in the church we like the big extreme lifestyle yeah. changes. But the thing with the testimony is that it's not about how bad you were and how good you are now. It's about the struggles that you've had and how God's helped you in your life. And you don't have to share you know, every aspect of your life. You can just pick, you know, one issue that you've had, one little struggle, and talk about how that affected you. How did you feel? What you were going through? How did you try and deal with that in terms of your context? And then just talk about how Jesus has helped you and or helping you, because some of our struggles are ongoing. And I think it's really important that you don't give the impression that your life is all together and now I'm really good because a testimony is not really about us, it's about, it's yeah. about him. It's so often that uh, we, we, when we think testimony, we think those, the, you know, the, the gang member becomes a Christian yeah. and you know, yeah. your testimony is about what Jesus is doing for you. And I use this analogy a lot and you're probably too young to remember the advertisement as well, <laughs> but there was, there's a woman sitting in a, in, a, in a cafe or in a hotel restaurant and yes. she's eating a breakfast cereal and she's going, oh, yum, mm, yum, oh, this is so nice. She's not, she's ignoring everybody. Mm. There's a woman at another table and the, 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 the waiter comes over and, you know, what would you like? And she goes, I'll have what she's having. Yes. Right? Because she can see that what she's got. And so our testimony is actually the way that God has worked in our life. But again, it's, the, I think, Jeremy, the, two, the, the twofold thing mm-hmm. is, 
A, I don't know how to share. Yes. Well, actually, it's a threefold thing because often our relationship with Jesus isn't close enough to, for us to actually be able to have anything to share. We're just yep. head Christians going to church. But I don't know how to share my faith mm. and might mess it up. And B, I don't want to be a crazy evangelist. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Because we want to honor the Lord. And we don't want to misrepresent the Lord. Yeah. We don't want to misrepresent ourselves. I don't want to blow it. If I blow it, this person's going to end up going to hell because I blew the blew my testimony and blew my chance. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's interesting because as I've gone around the country, uh, we're hearing this all the time. Everybody that we talk to agrees that the Great Commission is important to go into all the world and make disciples. Uh, that is universal of the people that we're talking to. But it's interesting that the majority of people that say it's important is they're not regularly communicating it and there's a lot of fear because they don't know how to communicate it. They don't know what to say. It's not clear in their mind. And when you're not confident about something, you know, you tend to hold back. You, you're not bold. You, you, you shrink back because you don't want to mess it up. You don't want to uh, say the wrong thing. You don't want to misrepresent yourself or the Lord. And the thing is, is that we all mess it up. And we can't But well, hang on, you're the national director of OAC. You can't mess it up. Well, that's what some people might think. But someone said a professional is someone who's just made all the mistakes and can actually speak from uh, experience. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that's part of our problem. We look at people and think, oh, they never mess it up. I mess it up or I get tongue-tied, so therefore I not like them, so I won't. I, I can't do it. Yeah. But the reality is we learn more by our mistakes. And you find that non-Christians are actually really forgiving because they don't know if you've messed it up or not Yeah. because they only hear what you're saying. And whether they accept what you're saying or not is not really dependent on your abilities or how polished or unpolished you are. It's about the Holy Spirit working through you and His Word in the person's heart and life. And so I take a lot of confidence, not that I've got it all together, not that I'm going to never make mistakes, that even in my mistakes, God can use to bring a person to, um, to faith. We're going to come back to the gospel and what is the gospel in a minute. But I want to, I want to talk about the crazy evangelists. Yes. Well, not even the crazy ones. Uh, I think one of the problems that pastors have with evangelists mm -hmm. is evangelists are very much the Lone Ranger. Yep. Right. They don't like being under authority. <laughs> uh, they, they do not like submitting to, to eldership or, or pastors mm. because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're talking about. Yes. They're not out and telling people about Jesus. So just let me do my thing. So when, a, when an evangelist comes into a church, he's, he or she is uh, uh, inhibited mm -hmm. in what they can do and, and just, you know, so... As a pastor, I'm going, do I actually want OAC to come and teach people to be, because I'd, I'd like people to be under pastoral authority yes, within yeah. the church because it all fits nicely. Yeah, I don't want them running off and, and, and messing things up. I was talking to a pastor in Napier 
about this very topic. And he has such a heart for the gospel. He loves the Lord, loves his flock. He loves the community. And he just wants to see his community transformed with the, uh, by the power of the gospel. And he's like, why is it that there are so many evangelists out there that are just a law unto themselves. I want to get behind, I want to support, I want to give them a platform, but I can't because I don't trust them and what they'll do with my flock. And and that's a valid concern. You know, there there are a lot of lone rangers out there that uh, for a number of, they do what they do for a number of reasons. The evangelists are the ultimate parachurch. Yep. And, and, but that's not all evangelists. See, within OAC, we don't, uh, you know, we have to be part of a church to be part of OAC. It's a partnership between OAC and that local church. And the local church commissioned them, and there is an understanding that they will use and function as an evangelist within their congregation. Because you can't call people to discipling relationships. You can't work with other churches if you're not working with a church or planted or being discipled yourself. Yeah, how can you, how can you tell somebody now that you've met Jesus, you need to join a local fellowship and when be a part of the fellowship if, if you're not there? Um, I know um, one of the things that Lou Meyer used to say, mm-hmm. Lou Meyer, the former director yes. of, uh, of OAC, uh, he talked about the leadership within the church. Yes. The fivefold apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And he said, we see apostles in leadership in church. Mm-hmm. We see prophets and leadership. We see pastors and teachers in leadership. We don't see too many evangelists. No. And and that could be part of the problem is that the evangelists aren't involved in the leadership aspect yes. of church. And I think uh, sometimes it's the evangelist's fault because like you said, they get frustrated because we're not doing this. We, you know, we want to take this hill for Christ. It doesn't matter if you're you're injured. Yeah. You only God's given you uh, two legs. You only need one to get up a hill. You know, we have that kind of mentality. Yeah. We don't understand the life and the dynamics of the local church. So therefore, we can allow or evangelists can allow their frustrations to bring a wedge between um, the leadership of a particular church. And I think that we need wisdom, we need understanding, and I guess the word that comes to my mind in terms of what would make a successful evangelist working within the leadership and the context of a local church is relationship. Because your pastors are not the enemy of the evangelists, and sometimes evangelists treat them that way. We're actually on the same side, and we have the same heart, we've got the same call, God's commissioned us, called us to uh, fulfill the Great Commission. But sometimes through our own feelings and our own experience, we can treat them as enemies. And so we just go and do our own thing. But I don't think that's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to, you know, slow down, understand the bigger picture. Mm. Because as an evangelist, we have got a very um, particular focus uh, in terms of uh, the things that the scripture teaches us that we should be a part of and that we should uh, you know, be living out regularly. Yeah. A pastor has a lot of other aspects in terms of discipling his people, you know, bringing them to maturity. It's, evangelism is important and it's valued, but there are other things that are going on as well because um, to even be able to get there flock or the people that they're shepherding to a place where they can, in a healthy way, communicate their faith to those that God's placed around them. 
There's a lot of training necessary too. I mean, we, we read in the Bible about the schools of the prophets, mm-hmm. you know, Elijah and all that. We don't read too much about the schools of the evangelists, but <laughs> um, there are, you know, Corinthians talks about the, you know, the, the gifts of the Spirit, and mm. it says that there's a diversity of gifts, there's a diversity of administrations, and yes. there's a diversity of the way that operates. Um, I know that you still do some street evangelism yes. you know, with time as your national director. You do um, camps. I'm not sure about schools anymore, whether we can do that. but but uh, And you use the, the flipboard and, and things. I prefer coffee shop evangelism. Yep. I prefer sitting in a cafe, drinking good coffee, talking one-on-one with someone, or talking with another Christian loud enough so that that person... <laughs> <laughs> I had one the other day. It was It was really annoying. Uh, a friend and I were sitting, just chatting. We, you yeah. know, we're just catching yes. up. And then this guy sat in the table beside us yeah. on his own. So I just lifted the volume a little bit and got a little bit more specific about yes. Christianity and exactly what the gospel is. Yeah. And then as the guy left, he just leans over. He goes, God bless you for that, brother. Like, oh, stink. <laughs> Wait. You know, oh, but, but there's different times. But I yeah. think what happens is that it's the same with any ministry, any gifting, if I'm going to be a musician, uh, a worship musician, whatever, yes. I need to be trained to use my musical skill. I might be a brilliant guitarist, mm-hmm. but a lousy worshiper. Yeah. So I need to be trained to use what God has put in me the way he wants to use it yes. by somebody who knows what they're doing. Mm. Um, the, the, the wild canon evangelists, I think, are those who know that God's called them to evangelism. Yes. Uh, as Trevor Yaxley says, the burning desire in their heart is to get someone saved. They don't care about pastoral care. That's the pastor's problem. <laughs> but they haven't had any training. They, yeah. they, you know, they're just off doing their own thing. And to me, that's the ones that give evangelism. And, and I know for the pastor, people always see a bad name mm-hmm. because that's our image. Yes. And and that's where the only way for that image to be changed is through relationship, getting to know the heart of the evangelist, where they're coming from and what they're actually trying to do. Because another aspect that is given evangelists bad name is they come in with this outreach, create all sorts of uh, wonderful carnage and then leave. And yep. then the pastor's got to pack, you know, clean up clean the mess, up the mess yeah. and has got to foot the bill. And, and that's not something that we think is a God honouring um, model. I, I remember I was working with a church down in Central Hawke's Bay and we were, I was training the whole church in uh, evangelism and trying to help them to see, you know, you don't have to do it the way I do it. The, the One of the most underutilized tools in evangelism is the, uh, is, is the lounge. Yep. More people come to faith in people's lounge and living rooms than anywhere else in the world. And we did this training, how to actually uh, reach out, be intentional at reach out, create an environment of discipleship and share our faith with those that God's planted around us, our oikos, our household, friends, family that are not followers of Jesus. And um, the last day of training, the pastor's wife came to me and said, Jeremy, when I started this course, I hated evangelism. Because she, because any time evangelists would come, it's like she just felt guilty. Yeah, for not and, doing it. Yeah, for not yes, doing it. Yes, because you guys make us feel and, guilty. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and also, uh, she tried it, what they were saying, and just failed because it, it wasn't work, yeah. her. 
But as we actually did that training and went through, you know, how has God made us? How can we naturally have conversations and bring up faith and create an environment of discipleship? She found uh, how she could be successful at communicating her story and God's story in a natural way. And she said, you know, now I love evangelism. She's not an evangelist. She's just like most uh, uh, most churchgoers. They're just normal people. Yeah. Uh, and But she was excited about evangelism because of the first time in her life, she uh, found a way that she su- could succeed. And she was putting into practice what we were going through, and she was seen a difference Mm. she was able to connect and relate with her neighbors that she's never been able to do before and she was able to share uh, what God has done in her life and and the gospel as well and they were really open to it so the training you do in the churches is is uh, it's it's twofold in ways because number one obviously there are the evangelists yes but there's also the rest of us who aren't I mean and uh, again, I know, but I'm talking about Lou again, but we're good friends yes. and I've known him for years. He says, oh, Rob, you're an evangelist. I go, I'm not. I'm a teacher. <laughs> yeah. All right? I want to see the lights come on on mm. your eyes. Um, but I understand the importance of it. So you've got people who are evangelists yes. that may not know how to use that gifting. Yeah. And then you've got the rest of us who are have different giftings, but still are called to the Great Commission to yes. go and make disciples. So you've got to deal with both of those yep. in that training. How does you just? I don't know if you can encapsulate like a, if you went to a church. Yes. How would training work? Uh, if we were if we were just training the average Christian who's not an evangelist how to communicate their faith on a, a regular basis or have a lifestyle of evangelism, we would uh, start by looking at who they're called to. Who, who has God called us to witness to? Because we've got the Great Commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. But it's like, does that mean that I have to, like, yeah. you know, everybody I come in contact Please with? Please don't send me to <laughs> Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, and, so, and so we look at who is God placed in your life, Specifically. Yeah, specifically in yeah. your family, in your your friends, your uh, workplace, hobbies, those sort of things. So we identify who God's called them to witness to. And then we begin to teach them about how to create an environment of discipleship because you can effectively share the gospel with a person that you don't know because in a few moments you can make a connection and you can build a rapport yeah. and you can share the gospel. But you can't. Uh, be effective at discipleship unless you have a relationship because it's an ongoing thing. It's a life-on-life thing. So we talk about how do you intentionally build a relationship, um, how you show the reality of God in your life so they can see God at work in your life, and the more that you connect with a person naturally often, the more opportunity you have to talk about what's important to you, which is, in this case, faith and, and Christ. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then we and so so we look at that. So we don't try and assume anything. And then we look at you know what is our story, what is his story, and how to communicate that in a simple way, uh, without too much Christian jargon. Um, when we come to sharing, uh, helping them to understand and communicate the gospel, we like to use uh, diagrams so that it keeps you on track. It's also visual, so doing a basic bridge diagram as you're communicating yep. the gospel. So you're teaching me how to use yep. to, so, to so, the and, and so yeah. we and we do a lot of role play. So we look at the principles. I hate role play. And then yeah, I know, but it helps us to gain confidence um, and make mistakes 
you know, so that when we do go and yeah. attempt to share, we sort of got a little bit of experience. Because you have to have an environment when you're teaching of this is an environment where you're free to fail and you're so free you, to make yeah. mistakes. So you would you, you come and like do a Saturday seminar or? Yep, a, it just depends yeah. on what the church is wanting. Yep. Because while we have our different trainings that we offer, we very much want to hear the heart of the pastor. Where is the church at? What are you struggling with and how can we help? And sometimes we tailor make things for uh, a specific church. Yeah. Uh, different training and other times, you know, general training. I think you're becoming better known for that now as uh, with OAC. And I know over the last few years, there's been, uh, is it the Congress of Evangelists and, or Evangelism in, in Waikanae? Yeah, there's uh, been a whole bunch of different. Uh, yeah, I think there's a, there's a better understanding now amongst pastors that OAC are interested in my church mm. and the struggles that I'm, that you're not just coming in. To, to create evangelists. You're coming in to help me fulfill the mission that God's given yes. me for my specific church. Yeah. So hopefully that's making your life a little bit easier in the, in the training side of things. Yeah, it is. And also what we find as well is so when you're going through this training, which is applicable to everybody, and it's important for those that have got a call as an evangelist in their lives because they need to communicate the message in a simple and a clear way and not overcomplicated yeah. or or uh, Christian jargify it or whatever, um, they they come out of the woodwork. You begin to identify those kind of people that have that, uh, I guess, calling or passion because they get excited about it and they want to do naturally do more. And so it leads to a, a, an opportunity for the, down the track to provide extra training yeah. and opportunities for those specific people that you're not offering the rest of the congregation. Uh, we, we've done lots of outreaches with this church in different uh, parts of the community. And you know, there are some people that will never do door-to-door -door evangelism, but we can do door-to-door -door evangelism. And through that, we've connected the people that are servants, people that will just love you and serve you and do things for you. We've tried to connect them with those people that we've met on the street. Well, that's the thing about and, being the body is, you know, yeah. are you comfortable doing door-to-door -door evangelism? No. Great scones. Yeah, you know? that's right. And it's like, oh, come along. I've met this person. It's an older person. She's really lonely. She's interested in spiritual things. I love you for you to connect. And so we've got. The, I've got this mutual relationship. Connect the, with them. They build a great relationship, and through their natural relationship, and uh, they're able to have spiritual conversations when the opportunity arises. They yeah. don't have to feel like they have force it because not everybody is open all the time to talk about spiritual yeah. things. And, and we don't know who's going to connect. I mean, I, I used to say, okay, let's let's take the, the men in the church and let's, let's eight to ten of us go to this person's place and tidy their section. Yes. If I'm taking ten people along, I'm only expecting nine to be working. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because one of you is going to connect with the owner of the property and you're going to share Jesus yeah. with them. But I don't know which of you ten... Yeah, is that one? That's right, and so, um, and so, which makes it really important that they all know how to communicate yes, their faith yep. and create um, spirit or create opportunities for spiritual conversations to happen, because it's easy not to do that 
if you're not confident, you know, because it's like, oh, I can chop your wood, I can have talk about all everything under the sun. But for me personally, I get an idea, oh, let's talk about spiritual things. My knees start yeah, to wobble, yeah, yeah. my you know, my temperature rises, I begin to sweat and I, I become nervous. Yeah. And so but I've been able to overcome my nerves because I'm confident in I've what been I'm given that say. training, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, we're, we're given the whole time, we're given the woman at the well situation where yes. Jesus took it from the natural into the spiritual yeah. and so we need to do that. You go, yeah, that's fine, but I don't know how to do that. <laughs> uh, there was a young man uh, recently who uh, s- said it was his duty to share the gospel in this situation. It wasn't the right time or place, but he said, he said, you know, in the old days it was all obedience and you had to obey the law uh, to be right with God, but now it's it's grace because of what Jesus has done, and so you need to put your faith in him. Oh, really? And he thought he'd given them the gospel. Yep. And I'm just shaking my head. I'm going, no, you've just confused them mm. completely. Yep. Yeah, we, we, we're finding that all the time. People uh, are not fluent with the gospel. They in their head, yeah, I know what the gospel is, and then you ask them a few questions, and they don't. Uh, they, some of them clearly don't know what the gospel is, and some of them sort of begin to muddle their words because it's not clear in their minds, or they emphasize one aspect and neglect all other aspects. Remember one person saying, you know, oh, the gospel is just saying Jesus loves you. And I remember talking to someone and they thought they were going to go to heaven when they die because someone said, Jesus loves you. So if he loves me, he's not going to send me to hell. I'm not going to, you know, I don't have a sin problem because he loves me. And it's like, I'm not perfect, but nobody else is because they didn't, you know, he didn't understand the uh, goodness or the justice of God or anything like that. It was just like, oh, God loves me. That's sweet. I am in. I'm I'm good. My wife talks about uh, a gentleman that she met, uh, which I think was doing meals on wheels or something like that. And, uh, she started sharing the gospel with this, uh, sharing Jesus with this guy. And he goes, nah, he says, I'm, I'm fine with God. He says, uh, I went to this camp in Rotorua when I was about nine, and the man said, <laughs> come forward to the front. And so I went forward and he prayed, so uh, I'm good with Jesus. Yeah. Uh, okay. yeah. No, you're not. Unfortunately, there are many stories like that that I've heard like that throughout the years of being involved in ministry with OAC. And it's sad because there are so many people that have got a false assurance. Also, um, I meet non-Christians and they think that Christianity is a crutch. Like, you know, because I've heard the message, if you're down and out, if you're struggling, yeah, come yeah. to Jesus and he'll make your life great. That's it. You know, he'll, he'll, he's the answer to life and he'll help you with all your problems. And while God does help us with everything as we've submitted our lives to him, he directs us, he enables us. You know, his impression from the messages that he heard from the church was that, you know, you, you know, when you're down and out, that's when you come to Jesus. And he said to me, well, when my life's a mess, I might consider Jesus. And so I had to talk to him about how, you know, we don't come to Jesus just to clean our life up. We come to Jesus to, uh, you know, be made right with him. To, we're not there to get a better life, but a right life with him. So what, and you're going to go into evangelism mode here, but I'm going to let you do it. <laughs> what is the gospel? The gospel, yeah, that's a great question. And that is something that a lot of people... Uh, ask what is the gospel and I think uh, what we like to share with you there are five main points or pillars of the gospel and a lot of gospel presentations start with us you know or we're a sinner or God loves you or anything like that but 
a gospel presentation needs to, uh, it really starts with God, who God is and uh, our purpose in life. Because if a gospel presentation doesn't talk about, you know, our purpose, then it's, I don't think it's complete because God created us in his image and he created us for a purpose. And in the gospel, we find that purpose that he created us for a relationship. He created us, um, you know, to know him, to enjoy him, to, to be in fellowship with him. And uh, we're created in his image. And we know because God made us, he has the right to tell us how we should live. He is our judge. The Bible says that, you know, we will stand before God and he will judge us all the good things we do and the not so good things we do. Um, and the standard he judges us by is his holy standard, which is perfection. Jesus said, be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. Um, so, but the reality is regardless of what good we've done, what good we haven't done, the Bible teaches that God is love. And he has loved us with an everlasting love. And you might ask yourself this question, well, if God loves me, and he created me to know him, and, um, you know, he's supposed to be part of my life. I'm supposed to experience him. Why isn't he not part of yeah, what's my the experience? Yeah. You know, why isn't that a reality? Uh, but the reality is, as the Bible teaches, that we've all sinned. You know, so, uh, we have sinned and that sin has separated us from God. You know, sin is the wrong things we think, say, do, and the things we know we should do but never get around to doing. And... Um, the Bible also teaches that we're not only separated from God, but the reward for sin is death. And the Bible speaks about three deaths. The first death is the physical death, you know, that we go to the ground and we decompose or we, um, or we get heated up a little bit. The, the Bible also talks about a spiritual death. He says, you know, your sins have separated, um, you know, your sins have separated you from me. I've turned my face and I, will not, I do not even hear your prayers. There's a spiritual separation. You know, we, uh, we know there's more to life than what we see naturally. But, and, there's, uh, and we try and pursue spiritual fulfillment. But God, you know, but we're separated from God. We're separated from his love, his power, his life, because uh, sin is in the way. This is why there's over 2,000 different religions in the world, because we understand that we, we, there, is a, there is a barrier between us and God, and we're trying, to, we're trying to do everything we can to remove that barrier so that we can have spiritual significance, that we can reconnect with our Creator. And also the third death the Bible speaks about is a, uh, is an eternal death where, we, where we're punished forever for the things that we've done wrong, a place where God executes His justice. He gives us what we deserve. And the sad thing about all of this is that none of us are capable to actually get rid of the sin in our life. You know, the Bible says um, in Isaiah, it talks about, you know, all of our good deeds, all of our righteousness are like filthy rags in his sight. And it's not saying that doing good things is wrong, but, but when we try and do good to impress God, when he says be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect, you know, we fall very short. It's like yeah. an insult to God. And so if our, the best that we have to offer to God is like filthy rags in his sight, what must our sin be like to a holy and perfect God? And, uh, and then we just ask the question, so, you know, if, if 
God was, if you were to meet God today, if you were to die today, let's hope you don't because we don't want you to uh, wreck your day. We want you yeah. to enjoy the rest of your day. But would you be accepted? Would you be accepted by God or would you be rejected? And it's interesting because when people recognize who God is and when they examine their own life, they begin to see that, well, if God's standard is perfection and I'm not perfect, then I'm not going to be accepted by him. And, uh, and, and a lot of people just say, I don't know. I, I don't know what hope I have. You know? If I can't make myself good enough to be perfect, what hope do you have? And that's, that's where a lot of the other religions uh, have is, is you've got to make yourself perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's about what you do. Yeah. I was talking to a guy from Islam and it's like they have to go, there is no real assurance because they have to go through all these religious rituals to attain tone for their sin but at the end of the day they, they recognize they that they're still yeah. a sinner and they still sin and they just hope that Allah would be merciful but yeah. so you've got you've got your, your listener is getting to this point where I don't know yeah I don't know and and that's the right point because there's we have to realize that there's nothing that you and I can do to actually make ourselves good enough to God because none of us meet his standard and because um, a lot of New Zealanders uh, the majority of New Zealanders think, if, well, if God is real and heaven is real, they will go to heaven because they're a good person. Because God is love and I'm a good person. Yeah, uh, you know, so from the little bits that they've heard and uh, uh, they've had to make up the rest of the story themselves and so naturally I'm going to make it. Yeah. And, and so, and then, you know, you just talk about Jesus. So you've got God, you've got us, man, people, then Jesus, you know, who Jesus is, what he's done for, done for us. It's the visual, visible expression of the invisible God. He did for us what we couldn't do ourselves. Um, being fully man, he was able to represent us and um, die in our place, be our substitute. And as God has um, been fully divine, He was his sacrifice was... Um, acceptable to the Father, and we talk about what he did and his death, but also his resurrection. It's interesting that when people share the gospel, you know, we make big on the death of Christ, which is true, we should, but we, but we minor on the resurrection. But yet if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we'd still be in our sins. And uh, the church was persecuted on the resurrection of Jesus. You know, this, um, this man rose from the grave, proving what he said was true, and he had the power to um, he had the he has the power to be able to forgive us and uh, give us a brand new start in life. And so we talk about that you know who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and what he offers us—the gift of eternal life—and just unpack eternal life. What is eternal life? Most people think it's heaven. You know, think of something down the future mm. but eternal life is this and according to john is that you know this is eternal life that you would know the, the one true god and jesus christ whom he has sent it's about that reconnection of relationship so going back to the start you know why are we here we, we were made for relationship created an image of god that you know god would be uh, an, a part of our life he'd stick closer than a brother it would be inseparable Sin has separated us, has ripped us of our purpose and, and our life, but yet Christ is offering us a gift uh, of that restored relationship so that we don't have to wait to be with God uh, sometime in the future, 
but we actually can walk and talk and know God here and now. And, um, and so what he's done for us, but knowing about what Jesus has done for us uh, doesn't, you know, isn't enough. We have to do something. And the Bible says, you know, uh, talks about repentance and faith. And uh, repentance is changing our mind. You know, that's simply what it means. It's change our mind about God. And, uh, and when we change our mind about God, our lifestyle changes. So, you know, if before Christ I was an enemy to God, I was uh, ignorant about God, I was living my life as being the boss, you know, I was the king of my life. To repent is to I change my mind about God and I, you know, make him the king of my life instead of me being the king of my life uh, and, you know, faith, trusting in him alone to save me, not in my abilities, not in my religion, um, recognizing who he is and trusting in him alone for eternal life. And that's really important because a lot of people, when they talk about repentance, they talk about, oh, you've got to change this. You've got to stop doing this. You've got to stop doing this. And the thing is, we can't clean our life up. I hate that. To before we can come to God, because we can't. No. Uh, no matter how hard you try, you can't clean your life up. But if you turn to God, He will clean, clean your yeah. life up, and He enables yeah. us to do it through the power of His Spirit. And um, and so, you know, our response to God is really important. And it's interesting. A lot of people, are, you know, ask the question now. You know, you know, knowing you know, now you know what Jesus has done for you. Are you ready to turn to Him? And, Put your trust in him alone. And um, a lot of people say yes, but we don't like to leave it there and just leave them in a prayer. What we like to do is just spend a couple minutes talking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, just so they know what they're getting themselves in for. Because we've got like a 90% backsliding rate sort of in terms of people that profess Christ, yep. you know, 10, uh, 9 out of 10 people sort of, you know, within a few months are just nowhere to be seen. And so we just talk about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And we don't talk about you've got to go to church, read the Bible, things like that. We talk about, you know, a follower of, a follower of Christ is someone that Jesus is Lord. You know, he says something, we want to obey it. So, you know, that what it means to actually follow Jesus. Uh, we talk about... We talk about how he's given us, you know, the spirit to obey him because before Christ... No matter how hard we try, we can't live to his standard that he calls us to live to. And we can't do that in our own strength, um, no matter how long we've been a Christian. Yeah. You know, that's why we could, we could never do it. That's why we have you know yeah. the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, the one who comforts us, the one that empowers us, the one who enables us. You know, so we don't have, we're not in this on our own. We actually have the Holy Spirit to teach us and to guide us and to enable us. And the third thing we want to talk about is that you know a true follower of Jesus, their life will change. The fruit of the spirit. Yeah, it will change there, because there is, of what the yeah, spirit's doing, doing in our them. life. Yeah. We're not manufacturing outward. Uh, leaves you, you or don't change. have to throw away your Black Sabbath albums, no, no, but we'll, you will. Yeah, you will. Yeah. It's like, you know, your life will change. This is what a Christian, and we look at the fruit yeah. of the Spirit. So this is what a true follower's life will begin to look like more and more as they follow Christ. You know, so that's a that's a pretty complicated, what you've just yes, told us. And yes, that's yes. and I've been looking at the clock. So that's, okay, that's, sorry that's about, about that. No, 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 it's good. Because that, that's about 15, 16 minutes. Yes of you explaining the gospel. So number one, I'm scared of taking that much time to tell someone because yes. I don't know it that well in depth. But the other thing is, Jeremy, you don't have to do that on the first meeting. No, that's right, right? you don't. This is the thing, it's, it's, it's the walk alongside. We, we, we have in our minds, I think, this 
it's it's like the you know the the, the fighter planes in World War Two, yeah. and they got a, you know another skull or, or yeah. X on it. You know, bang another you know whew, there's another Christian there. Bang another. It's it's walking alongside yep. with someone, bringing them on the journey, and hopefully if you're leading them, you will lead them up to the point where you are in your walk with Christ. Yes. But they're not going to jump there. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And when we do the training, obviously we cover a bit more in depth what the gospel message is, but we try and get them to share it in five minutes. Because you can, because depending on where a person's at, you can highlight the things that yes, are important that and yep. you can uh, minimize that which they already know because you don't have to uh, go over the same stuff yep. over and yep. over. So it is keeping it simple. And also when you're talking to different people, they're all at different stages. And so you have an opportunity to talk about you know, maybe who Jesus is. And then next time you might have an opportunity to talk more about uh, our response to God. But you've been led by the Spirit. You're not just a uh, um, robot yeah. where I have to say all of these things one after the other. And if you don't yeah, say all of these pull things... Pull that little book out of yeah, seven steps to Jesus. Yeah, otherwise yeah. you're going to, you know, they're never going to come to faith because, you know, God is at work. Yeah. And that's the cool thing about evangelism is like, this is God's work. He is the Lord of the harvest. I can just relax, enjoy myself and just meet with... Uh, a person where they're at and just give them what they need and um, and uh, trust that the Holy it's, Spirit. It's, it's the give them what they need. You know, in Second Peter, Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope. Yes. I remember in the early days of computers, my mum was, <laughs> she was a, a typing teacher, did one of the early word processing courses and everything. So we had like the early, early computer. And so I'm sitting there at, I don't know, 16, 17 years old back yes. in the 70s. Yes. And I go, Mom, how do you do this? And she comes through. She goes, well, you do this, this, and this. Yeah. And then you do. I go, no, no, stop. Go away. Yeah. I don't want to hear. And then you do. Just answer my question. Yes. And so always be prepared to give an answer for the hope. For the hope. Yes. So I go, Lord, get that person to ask me a question. Yeah. But so, and, and then leave it. Go on, talk about the rugby or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, you do a lot of evangelism on the street. Yes. Right. Talking to the average Kiwi. Now, mm -hmm. two instances recently for me. I was working in a pack house around about this time last year. I talked to a 40-year-old Kiwi who'd been to Bible and schools and Sunday school. Yeah. Right. What do Christians believe? Right. I said, I said I'm not going to evangelize yes. you, Mike. Just tell me what do Christians believe. And he goes, he says, well, uh, he says, you've got, uh, you believe in God and Jesus. <laughs> and I go, well, it's true, but... Do you have any more details? <laughs> yeah. You know, you did Bible in schools for goodness sakes. And he goes, real conversationalist, that guy. Yeah, he goes, nah, that that was it. Yeah. Right. Um, and then when I started working for Know My Faith, uh, Don and I went for coffee, and I said to the to the barista, I said, look, I'm not going to evangelise you or anything, but can you tell me, for your understanding, what do Christians believe? Yes. And he says, well, he says, the Muslims have got Allah and Muhammad and the Quran. You've got the Bible and, uh, and God and Jesus. And I said, do you know any more details? Mm. And he goes, no. I think for those of us who are Christians, particularly those of us who have been brought up in the church, we have this thought that most people have chosen to reject the gospel message. When the reality is, most people have no idea. Yeah, that's right. About anything. I asked a lady the other day. I said, "What? Is, she's a churchgoer. What, what does Easter mean to you? Oh, it's a time to get together with people and Easter eggs and." Mm. Oh. Yeah, ignorance. I remember uh, I was in Wellington and 
what we like to help people with is that you you don't need necessarily a set presentation, but one of the ways to actually connect and have spiritual conversations is just the power of a question, you know, open-ended questions, and you get to know a person, you know, where they're at, what they believe, and why they believe it. That it's, involves a lot of listening. It does, and that's one of probably the most important skills in actually evangelism. It's not what you say sometimes, it's what you're listening to. And, uh, you know, these two young Māori ladies, probably in their mid-twenties, with a child, and we're just, oh, just going around, we're just asking people what, who they think God is and what is He like, and they had no idea. They just knew nothing. Yeah. And then they said, well, what, what do you think? And so that created an opportunity to actually talk about how I came to know God myself. Uh, but, but often, sometimes, we can be really quick to stop listening and start talking, uh, for example, we were doing some bus evangelism, me and some volunteers, and so we were on a bus, we took, got a ticket, and you could just drive around on the bus, and you could get off at any time, but then you had to pay for another bus fee, so we would just sit there, and people would get on. And so my mate, uh, a Māori guy, probably close to 30s, uh, sat next to my uh, mate and he st struck up a conversation. He's like, oh, we're just a friendly Christian. And, you know, how do you think the world began? Just asking people how that. Yeah. And he said, oh, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God. And he was like, quite like this. Yeah, yeah. And then he, my mate proceeded to tell them all the reasons why God created the world and all of that kind of stuff. And the conversation just died. And uh, I left it a couple of minutes and I just turned around and says, oh, so, sorry to interrupt, um, I'm with this guy here. And I was, I was curious to know, you said that you didn't believe in God. I was like, why don't you believe in God? Just out of curiosity. And he says, well, I was brought up in a Christian family. Uh, my father was a minister, but he was a drunk and he used to beat my mum and he used to, he used to do this and he used to do that. And I thought, well, if that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. And so the power of a question, just asking questions, yeah. helped me to actually get to the to understand what he knew and what he didn't know and why he believed what he believed. And we had this great conversation and we were able to talk about, you know, who Jesus really was and what God actually thought about that kind of, you know, his experience and brought the gospel yeah. into that. And he he got off the off the bus and he was beaming and he was, oh thank you so much. You've so given I, so I would much say to... that you probably came across a little bit less threatening than you mate in, in that situation. Well I think I was wanting to find out where he was at. I didn't just assume. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, you know, you ask questions, oh, oh, about Jesus, you know, someone say, oh, Christianity is about Jesus. Oh, so what do you understand? What have you learned about Jesus? And, you know, you just do the listening, get them doing talking. It's creating a dialogue. But often we're very quick to just give our answers, particularly if they say something that's not, Right? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we shoot them down, and it's like you've just asked them what they think and what they believe. And what, then do you, what do you believe? Yeah. Then you're yeah. about to just full on go on reproofing them and just yeah. smashing them. And it's like, oh, how did you believe that? Why did you come to that? What about this? What about that? And then, can I share with you how I found out? Well, see, I like that thing, and I use that a lot. Mm. It's, and I've got, I've got the gospel down to probably two minutes. Mm -hmm. And what I say to people is, I say, will, will you give me two minutes to explain to you what Christians believe? Yeah. Right? I'm not going to ask you to get down on your knees and accept okay. Jesus at the end of it. If you want to, you're welcome to, but I'm not going to ask you to do that. But give me 120 seconds yes. and I'll tell you what we believe. Yeah. And they go, yeah, sure. 
Yeah, that's right. Because you've created this dialogue, you've created a rapport, and they trust you because you they know that if they say something, they're not going to get Bible bashed. Yeah, yeah. And that's really important. You've got to value the person. They've got to feel valued because, you know, it's not just what we say, it's how we say it. I, I remember someone saying, I'm just shocked because, you know, I, I go out with OAC workers and you can talk about, sin righteousness and judgment you talk about how you talk about the you know the justice of god and people like people just are thanking you for it yeah not because you're watering it down but it's the manner and it's the attitude that comes through there's a real genuine concern and love for a person it's the way you know things the way you use your voice all those kind of things but you only learn those things by doing it. And that, can, that's you, so true. You, you can't learn it sitting in a classroom. You can only learn it by getting out there, doing it, making mistakes, yes. but then getting back on the horse again. Yeah, and there's many times I never wanted to get back on the horse. You know, this is it. I'm never going to do it again. <laughs> yeah. I'm over it, Lord. This is obviously not me because I've made mistakes. I've failed. Yeah. I've allowed my fear to um, rob me of the courage to engage a person, you know, and you just incredible guilt comes over you and you feel like a failure. And then, you know, you have your pity party and the Lord seems to dust you off and away you go again. Uh, just, I'm, I'm just really head, thankful that, you know, you know, there is no condemnation in Christ. Yeah. And God, there is nowhere in Scripture that God says that, you know, you have to get it right all the time or else. Because everybody's different. Yeah. And you learn so much from just interacting with people. And that's the thing I get, Jeremy, is that what we're talking about, particularly with the the the, the C part of OAC, outreach and church, mm. the church, the training is that you're, you, you're teaching me, despite my natural tendencies and giftings, which may be uh, apostolic or it may be pastoral, it may be hospitality, it might be the gift of, of helps, being able to fix mm. things which Rob can't do with <laughs> these hands, is you're teaching me how to use that to be able to share my faith with others, yep. to be able to listen to what the others are saying and respond appropriately without having to grab a huge King James Bible and stand on the street corner. Yeah, that's right. No, I would probably encourage you not to do that <laughs> with a big <laughs> yeah. Bible and yeah. stand on the street corner. But you're absolutely right. I remember there was uh, one lady, an older lady, and she was like, oh, I really got a heart to share my faith, but I couldn't do what you did. And we were doing a kids program. So well, what can you do? Oh, I can make the, the coffees, the morning teas, not the coffees, because these yeah, are kids yeah, that yeah. are too young for coffee. Hot chocolate. And yeah, and so she said, okay. And then she, so she gave her an opportunity to serve, and then she saw what she did, uh, what we did. And she's like, oh, that's not that difficult. I can do that. And so, but, but I couldn't do the story. I can't teach. Yeah. And so what can you do? And so we gave her something that she felt comfortable with doing. She was able to do that. And then within a few months, she was going door knocking by herself. Yeah. She was just out there. Uh, having, now you're scaring people again. <laughs> no, but, but having meals. But, but my point is, is that often we look at what we can't do. But let's start with what can we what do? What can we do? Yeah. And then allow the Lord and, to and, open and do it my way, the way that God put in me. Yeah. To do it, and yeah. then allow and and let um, allow God to direct us in terms of what we get involved with. Because you find that you know it is often fear that stops us from doing different things. And you know once we sort of overcome that, we begin to see God move and we get excited, and that often opens up 
different opportunities to serve in places we never yeah. thought we could serve or would serve. Yeah. You must be encouraged by some of the reactions from people that, that come back to you after you've done a training in a church. You get emails and say, oh, Jeremy, da-da-da, you know, great. Yeah, yeah definitely. That, that's like the highlight of my uh, ministry, you know. Uh, when in my early days with OAC, seeing a person respond in faith, you know, all of heaven rejoices when a uh, sinner comes to repentance, and obviously that's right up there. But when I've seen someone who's, you know, ha- uh, knees are having close fellowship and they're yeah, just yeah. petrified, but they take that step of faith and they put into practice in some small way what we've been teaching them, and they come back and they're just so excited, they're full of joy. God used me, and it wasn't as scary as. Yeah. I thought um, that fills my heart. That's the ultimate satisfaction. I just think, praise God, um, that He would use someone like me to help encourage someone in their ministry. Because yeah. the reality is, we have all got a ministry. And in Second uh, Corinthians five, we've all been given the ministry of reconciliation. Yeah. And a lot of Christians are missing out on fulfilling their ministry because of all sorts of reasons. And they're missing out on some of the greatest blessings in their life. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you a fishers of men. And we often leave it to the professional, leave it yeah. to the pastor. And we're actually, um, you're robbing us, we're allowing ourselves to be robbed of some uh, joy mm. and just incredible fulfillment. And greater fulfillment than personal gratification. I yeah. love Louis Giglio has one of his messages, which is called The Party in Heaven. Mm. And he says, the party in heaven isn't you get to heaven and you go, yeah, I made it. Yes. He says, the party in heaven is you get to heaven and you see somebody who you shared the Lord with. Oh. And you go, yes, you made it. Yeah. You I mean, I, when I first became a Christian, I struggled to communicate my faith. I had a great desire uh, to do it, but I you know, my hands would be like shaking. Yeah. I, before I was a Christian, I would wag three months of school just to get out of a three-minute speech. Like public speaking, all of those kind of things. Yep. Like I run a mile. I remember one of my first open airs I did, uh, we were doing a beach mission and we had a volleyball competition. So someone had to share the gospel afterwards. We had a, over 100 people in this competition. And so I put up my hand. It seemed like a good idea, like months <laughs> out. But the day of, I was so stressed. I almost yeah. made myself sick. I was exhausted emotionally because there was so much fear and I just wanted the ground to swallow my, me up. I wanted Jesus to come back so I didn't have to do it. And I was thinking of all sorts of excuses to get out of it. And then I did it. And then I went to sleep about an hour later because I was so exhausted yeah. and slept for like 14 <laughs> hours. But I did it not because it. of anything in me, but God enabled me to do it. And But it was incredibly fulfilling. One, I overcome my fear, but I knew that God was helping me yep. because there was no way I could do it without him. That's, and that's the thing, it's doing it with God. No matter what we're called to, the Great Commission is part of that, no matter what our ministry is. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Jeremy, it's been great. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, no, thank you for having me. Um, I was a little bit nervous about the old podcast. I've done a lot of radio interviews, but someone said I had a face for radio. So. Yeah, somebody said that about me too. I <laughs> so, think it was so, my mum. So in a podcast, <laughs> it's a little bit more sort of... Oh. <laughs> All good. No, no, thank you very much. And I really appreciate the time to be able to talk about something that's so uh, important for this country uh, and so needed. You know, Jesus looked upon the multitudes and he was moved with compassion.
Uh, and he, he saw the people as they were. He saw their true state and he turned to his disciples and says, you know, the harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest that more laborers would be raised up. In, in my journey with OAC, when I came into OAC in the 90s, it seemed like, you know, there were evangelists, people in full-time missional work all over the place. Uh, you know, 20, uh, now in 20, what are we, 2020, uh, 2021, you know, where are those, uh, the, the ranks of evangelists, missionaries, uh, pastors, they seem to be dissipating. People are less exposed to the gospel in this country uh, today more than ever before, it seems. And in my context, that's what we are seeing. There are more people that are more ignorant of the gospel and God has given us all the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the answer to what the world is looking for. And so in OAC, our passion is to raise up a new generation of evangelists. That doesn't mean young. New just means not new currently evangelists. operating. Yeah. So young at heart, new so that uh, raise up a new generation of uh, generations of evangelists that are trusted by the church and that are effective in the community. So that together uh, with the church, working with this church side by side and in the church, we might be able to reach this nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our heart's desire. That's our passion. And that's why we're here. So thank you so much for the opportunity to come. I really appreciate it.